The letter that changed the world. Biblical theology of the book of Romans. Believe it or not, this is part 40. 40 weeks we've been in the book of Romans. Tonight, what a renewed mind does. What a renewed mind does. Well, it thinks, Pastor Don. That's true, but so do unrenewed minds. All minds think. What's the difference in a renewed mind? And believe it or not, we're moving past Romans 12, 1 and 2. By the way, make sure you take your phone out right now, stare at it. If it's lighting up, you got a problem. Turn it off, silence it. Romans 12, 3, 4 and 5. For by the grace given to me, I say to everyone among you, not to think of himself more highly than he ought to think. Apparently that's a problem. But to think with sober judgment, each according to the measure of faith that God has assigned. For as in one body we have many members, and the members do not all have the same function, so we, though many, are one body in Christ and, and individually members one of another. That's interesting. Individually, what are you individually? Well, you're nothing except a member of something else. He can't, he can't even contemplate an individual Christian except as a member of something else. Individually... What are you? Well, individually, here's what you are. You're a member of something else. I guess it would be easy to conclude that we've sort of been stalled the past six, seven weeks. Romans 12, 1 and 2, kind of like watching a movie and, you know, you put it on pause. And we've been looking diligently into those two verses. The, the kind of change the Holy Spirit brings the internal nature of that change. It's organic, not decorative, not external. It's inside. And we looked at the motive, the motive for the renewed mind. It's considering the grace of God. We looked at the process of inward renewal. We've been studying the content of the renewed mind. Here's what the renewed mind does. It, it tests, measures, the, the, the value of God's will. Remember the illustration I gave of the gold mine. The value, not just knowing what God's will is, but appraising it. Prizing it higher than anything else. Valuing it more than anything else. That's, that's the mark of a renewed mind. It's not just an intellectual comprehension of data. It's a savoring of God's will. That's the mark of a renewed mind. And then you move on now, three, four, five, and we realize that it isn't just a matter now of, of inwardness and contemplation. There's service, there's action, as well as purity. You're, you're, you're clean, renewed, but renewed for something. So when you launch into verses three, four, and five, it's not a new topic. Paul is talking about why? Why the renewed mind? What is, what is God trying to do? What is he trying to work? 
Point number one. When you look for a person with a truly renewed mind, you'll find him in the church. Three, four, and five. For by the grace given to me, I say to everyone among you not to think of himself more highly than he ought to think. The way that manifests itself is not usually braggadocio. I, oh, look at me, Don Horban. I'm the most wonderful person in the world. It's not that. Most of us, at least are wise enough, we know better than that. The way we think of ourselves more highly than we ought is something he's going to spell out here. It's, it's when we think of ourselves as functioning perfectly well independently rather than with the body. That's how we overestimate ourselves. My prayer life, my Baba study, my holiness, my dedication, I'll be fine, thank you very much. That's how we tend to think of ourselves more highly than we ought. Don't do that, but with sober judgment, each according to the measure of faith God has assigned. Now he's going to explain how we think of ourselves more highly than we ought and what's the antidote, what's the cure. For as in one body we have many members, and the members do not all have the same function, so we, though many, are one body in Christ and individually members one of another. It would be easy to read Romans 12, 1 and 2 and think all Paul is thinking about is the person. The person as he stands alone before God. I want to be holier. I want to be more discerning of the will of God. I want to think about his marvelous mercies in my life. I want to be a worshiper. But it's me, my spiritual goals, my spiritual desires, my spiritual growth. But when Paul talks about this person with his or her quest for a renewed mind... In a transformed life, be transformed by the renewing of your mind. He, he really can't talk about the person alone. He can't leave it at that. The renewed mind is described, please see this. The renewed mind is described in terms of its relationship to the rest of the body. That's how Paul pictures it. Paul can't even begin to discuss the renewed mind as it stands just all by himself. Four and five. For as in one body we have many members, the members don't have all the same functions, so we, though many, are one body in Christ and individually members one of another. This, that's a real slap in the face to much of North American evangelicalism and much of the books and the literature and the teachings, and the podcasts, we're so accustomed to thinking of our Christian walk as just me and Jesus. We used to sing it when I was a kid. On the Jericho Road, there's room for just two. Now, if you mean each person needs to be in touch with Jesus for salvation individually, I'm not a Christian just because my parents are, that's okay. But if you mean the Christian life is just you and Jesus somewhere in the garden alone... It's not. Never has been, never will be. It won't work like that. That's the mistake Paul is addressing in today's text. Two verses, one and two, dealing with the importance of having renewed minds and transformed lives. How, how, how will God do this? What's the process? Well, we begin with the mercies of God. I beseech you by the mercies of God. 
And we must turn from the misinformation of the world. We present our bodies as instruments of worship. Is that, is that all? Is there anything else? And now Paul tells us, Paul tells us where this transformation takes place and how it takes place. And, and here's the thing. God cannot complete the renewal of my mind or yours independently. He doesn't just work with you and then work with me. He works with us. There's a we-ness in the process of having our lives transformed. There's a lot of people that aren't here tonight because, because they're good people, but they don't get this. They don't get this. Why does God choose this strange, rather roundabout way of linking us up in the body as he works in our lives? That leads me to point number two. It's impossible for our minds to be renewed and our lives transformed in isolation from the church. We read three, four, and five. I'm not going to read them again. For the most part, we've been thinking about four and five. But if you look back at that third verse, for by the grace given to me, I say to everyone among you, this is for everyone, not to think of himself more highly than he ought to think, but to think with sober judgment, each according to the measure of faith God has assigned. Now, let, let's do it. Let's do it like this. Keep thinking with me for a minute. If you work backwards from verse 3, for by the grace given to me, don't think more highly of yourselves than you should. Think with sober judgment according to the measure of faith that God has assigned. Work backwards, it will take you to 1 and 2. I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, present your bodies as a living sacrifice. We've been looking at these for a long time. Holy, acceptable unto God, which is your spiritual worship. Don't be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind. That, that by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. So, so the mark of an unrenewed mind, the mark of an unrenewed mind is it tends to think of itself more highly than it should. It, and I already explained. It thinks of itself, not bragging, but it thinks of itself as being able to succeed in spiritual life independently from the rest of the body. That's how it happens. We're naturally inclined to that kind of self-exaltation. We think of ourselves more highly than we ought to think. I have a magazine. I was reading a national survey across North America. Get this, 90%. 90% of college and university professors think of themselves as above average. Ponder it for a minute. Just statistically, that's impossible. If they were all that good, the average just goes up, right? 90% can't be above average. 90% of professors and teachers think of themselves as above average, and that's just indicative of the way we are. And in spite of what many therapeutic brands of spirituality would have you believe, this is the essence of what God wants to undo in my life. 
So his number one goal is to turn me away from self-reliance, that kind of exalting of self. And he has a gigantic task ahead of himself. If you think about it, I think you'll come to realize there are parts of this work, transforming, renewing, there are parts of that work that can never be done in seclusion. I'm going to explain that in just a second. There are some tools that God will use later on in my life by the Holy Spirit. I mean, I can read my Bible all by myself. And I should. I can spend time in private prayer all by myself. And I should. I can study and meditate in quietness and seclusion And I should. None of that needs proof texting from me. I think we're all agreed that that's all well and good. But but here's where we do need to think things through freshly. I said that these private disciplines are the tools that God will use in my life by the Holy Spirit. But what are these tools for? What does God want to do with those tools? Prayer, Bible study, meditation, devotion. When and where do all of those things, those good, godly, spiritual disciplines, when and where do they get applied, used, for some specific task? We simply have to ask those questions. It's a bit of a joke at my house. Um, I usually take Thursday off, and Rini and I go shopping around, and every once in a while, I love going to, to uh, Canadian Tire and, and Lowe's and Home Depot, and I love looking at all the tools and the gadgets. I don't know what to do with any of them. <laughs> I just see something there, and it looks like I should have that. It looks like something might come up one day and I'm going to need that. What is it? I don't know, but look at it. So I got stuff in my basement that people who know how to use those things, they come over and I say, what is this for? I bought this a year ago. To have the tools and have no idea why you have them or how they're to be used. Now, Bible study, prayer, meditation, devotion to the Lord, private worship, all of those things. What what are they for? What, What is God doing in my life with those things? Take the reading of the Bible. I need to say something that might shock you. I think it bears up to being absolutely true. You just don't hear it very often. Reading the Bible is not living the Christian life. Has anybody ever told you that? Reading the Bible is not living the Christian life. Reading the Bible is preparation for living the Christian life. It's amazing to me how many Christians think of their duty regarding God's word as being fulfilled because they read it. It's good to read your Bible. Jesus isn't going to ask you one day how many chapters you read every day. He's going to look for what did you do with the truth you were learning? How was it shaping your life? 
we ought to know that by the way the Bible talks about the Bible. Ephesians 6.17, take the helmet of salvation, the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. Can you imagine in that era, anybody missing the point? A sword wasn't decoration you stick and hang on the belt. A sword was when you're going into warfare and into battle. That's its only value. The fact that it's really, really sharp doesn't help you at all. So remember where we are. We're talking about how the renewed mind and the transformed life can't happen in solitude. We're working through the idea that the transformation of my life is linked up to my place in the church. We're working with that concept in Romans 12, 3. For by the grace given to me, I say to everyone among you, he's writing to churches, not to think of himself more highly than he ought to think. You're not independent. You can't make it by yourself. You can't be what God wants you to be alone. But to think with sober judgment, each according to the measure of faith that God has assigned. So God has a solution. He will place me in the context of a group of people in a church. And this is where he will use all that time in prayer and the word. What he will do in this body of, in Cedarview Community Church, what he will do is he will reveal all the parts of my life that are still unrenewed and untransformed. He will show me where in spite of all my reading of the Bible, I can be unforgiving. I cannot see that when I'm just by myself reading my Bible. I'll always feel holy when I'm just by myself reading my Bible and praying because there's no one in that setting to challenge the untransformed parts of my life. I'm by myself. I can kneel by my bed and sing all these beautiful songs to Jesus and feel his love flooding my heart. And I can read the Bible and I can see all the things in the Bible and I can pray and I can feel tremendously godly until someone someone takes my seat at church where I sit every Sunday. Do you know, do you know within the last two weeks in Cedarview Community Church there have been mature Christians. I mean, people who have been Christians for 30 years who get upset because someone was sitting where they sit in church. Think about that for a minute. Now, that part of my life is never going to be exposed when I'm reading my Bible and kneeling in prayer by my bed. And so God has a solution. Have you ever prayed, oh God, search my heart? Have you ever prayed something like that? Maybe not those words, but something like that. And, and then, and then you, you start off, you're going to church and you're working with somebody else and, and you thought they were going to develop that part of the lesson for that class and, and you've had to do it three weeks in a row and they're not doing their job and you come in and you get upset with them. Why? Oh God, why? Why? Why are people like that in the body of Christ? And, and then the Lord says, well, didn't you pray and ask me to search your heart this morning? Yes. Do you see a little bit of impatience here? Oh. 
I guess that part of my life isn't as transformed as I thought. Do you see what the body of Christ does? As long as you're by yourself, you can feel incredibly godly. It's when you get with people, believe it or not, who are, who are a lot like you, that you realize the parts of your life that, that can still be bitter, unforgiving, proud, argumentative. That's God's plan in the body of Christ. This problem, thinking of myself more highly than I ought, it isn't, it isn't going to be corrected by my Bible reading alone, and if you think about it, you'll quickly see why. The power of God's word to change my life is proportional to my repentant response to what I read. That's how the word works. But as I read my Bible all by myself, I'm reading it with my own blind eyes and my own blind spots, not the least of which is my overestimation of myself. And, and if, as Paul says, I'm inclined to think of myself more highly than I should, I'll miss most of the things that the Holy Spirit wants to change in my life. I need those things exposed and brought into the light. I need the body of Christ. Otherwise, I'm just going to learn theology when I read my Bible. But I'm not going to read it with the kind of heart that can be transformed. Well, how is the Holy Spirit going to show me those blind spots? Can't he? Yes. Yes, he can. The only question left now is, how has he decided to show me that? And the only biblical answer is, he's chosen to reveal all that still needs to be done in my life in the context of a local church. I just won't see the unfinished areas of my life unless I'm regularly meeting with the body of Christ. My life will go untransformed while I'm guzzling verses from my Bible. Reading the Bible alone will reveal doctrine, but it takes the Bible and the Holy Spirit and the body of Christ to reveal Don Horbin's pride. That's because it's only in the church that I'm required to practice patience and forgiveness in the face of repeated hurts. I can read about loving others in the Bible, but only in the church can I wash my brother's feet. And those are two different things. Let's pray.